Good morning. I'm not going to admit what take number that this is of this video. <laughs> Just know there's, there's been a few. Never mind. I'm going to keep going. Uh, the year 2020 saw a big shift in how we use postal services. In the three months between April and June of 2020, we saw a massive 38% increase in the packages that we receive. And I will admit that I think I've uh, yeah, accounted for a few of those. And uh, let's be honest, hands up if you're that person that uh, when the delivery person arrives, you're kind of looking at your neighbor saying, oh man, are they noticing that this is maybe the third or fourth time that this person has arrived? Um, and you're kind of on first name term basis with the delivery person. Um, in that period as well, from that April to June 2020, there was a decrease of 33% in the letters that we send to one another. I was pretty surprised by that. I actually thought that that would have increased. It's just a nice way to be able to stay in contact with one another. Um, but that's probably down to just the way that we typically communicate with one another now. If it's by the phone or if it's email or if it's text, WhatsApp or whatever else app that you might use. Now we're at the end of the book of James, a letter written to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Um, but you might think this is an odd way to finish a letter. The letters that we would send to each other would probably have a final greeting of some sort. So I, I can't wait to see you again, or let's catch up soon, or please say hello to this person or to that. And other letters in the New Testament finish that way with some final greetings or a benediction. And these last few verses, we have a clear message from James. And much of the book has warned us against how we might use our words. But here James shows us how we can positively use them. And finally, rounding off the letter with the overall purpose of it, a calling people back to faith. James's exhortation in verses 13 to 18 is clear. Pray. If you're suffering, if you're in trouble, pray. If you're cheerful, if you're on top of the world, then pray. Many of you know that I have a finance background and uh, I used to work for an investment firm and did a lot of statistics. I was that guy who liked algebra in school. For some reason, it just clicked. And so I resonate with the logic that James shares with us here, his simplicity, his automatic response that he lays out. If you're not well, then pray. If you're doing well, then pray. Paul shares a similar exhortation with us in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. He says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 17 to 18, here he says, pray continually giving thanks in all circumstances. I think some of us, myself included, would admit to having a greater fervency in prayer during those times of trial. As a church, I love how we respond in times of crisis, holding extra prayer meetings for those who are in need, coming together in the sanctuary or as we do now on Zoom to lift up a brother or sister who is in need. And we should do that, undoubtedly. Let's not stop doing that. Let's do that more if we need to. But my question is about the rest of the time, maybe when we don't feel that trial, how automatic a response do we have to lift up our praises? Now, as a church, we've started using the Prayer Mate app 
And if you've not signed up to it yet, please do. And if you want a bit more information, speak to Dan about it. But it's there to help us foster these healthy, life-giving habits of turning to God in prayer in all occasions. Pastor Jim Simbala, some of you will have heard of him, says anything, and I mean anything, becomes a blessing if it drives us to prayer. All seasons of life, different moments of the day, trial and cheer should drive us to prayer, drive us to time with God, and draw us to develop that life-giving relationship. Time pondering his blessings, time declaring his power, words describing our desperate needs and falling into his compassionate arms. May our response be as automatic as James and Paul suggest that it should be. Now the passage here raises a couple of good questions that I think are important for us to address. Namely, what is it saying about anointing with oil and what does it say about the prayer of faith? Now, at the time of writing, oil was often used for medicinal purposes, but what James is suggesting is more than that. James instructs the elders to do this as it has symbolic significance. Throughout scripture, we find oil being used to consecrate someone for God's service. James is recommending that this is done in order to vividly show a deep desire for that person to be set apart for God's special attention and care and as a a recognition of the presence of God with that person. We don't see this elsewhere in the New Testament, so we need to be careful not to allow this to become the focus of the passage. Prayer is. On a few occasions, the elders have visited with church members and we have anointed them with oil. We've been invited around to to someone's house to pray for something specific and each occasion has been a wonderful time, deeply seeking for healing in that person's life. We've anointed with oil, not because we, we believe that oil heals, but because we want to be obedient to scripture and we earnestly desire to see God's healing in that person's life. Now this passage stresses the element of the invitation. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders. The elders at Hillview and Kintour would love to be invited around to pray for you. Now we've possibly not been great at offering this frequently enough, so please hear me loud and clear today. We would love to be invited round to pray for you. Even during this time of restrictions, we can think on ways to to pray for you safely, even if it means that we have to use Zoom for now. Don't think of something as insufficiently serious or worry about our time. Please just know that we would love to pray for you. The second question surrounds faith. Now, this question is one that I think has done significant damage in the past. Am I not healed because I lack faith? Is, is my friend not healed because I lack faith? And if that's you, I'm very sorry that you've been hurt by these suggestions. The faith exercised in prayer is faith in God who is supreme and sovereignly accomplishes 
his will. When we pray, our prayer recognizes the overruling providential purposes of God. A prayer for healing must always hold a recognition that God's will is supreme. A recognition that God can use all purposes for his glory and to draw us closer to him. Now, the Apostle Paul, he prayed three times that his thorn in the flesh would be removed from him. And it wasn't. And I don't think any of us would ever accuse Paul of lacking faith. In, in that passage in 2 Corinthians 12, we go on to read of the grace of God being completely sufficient. Of God being exalted in our weakness. When we pray, we should pray full of faith that God has the power to heal and in full submission to his perfect will. Within our own church family, we've seen people experience healing. And for others, we rest in the knowledge that they have received full healing upon entering eternity. But let's not forget these times when we have seen the healing. Sometimes I think we pray in a way that suggests that we're worried about God's reputation. Oh, what if if I pray this way and nothing happens? What, What will people think about God? God is big enough to handle his own reputation. Let's pray with no doubt that God has the power to heal and simultaneously acknowledge that he is sovereign. Now, sometimes in God's generosity, he does make it clear that someone will be healed. Now, I've been to uh, different gatherings and seen how God has worked through the leadership of that church to make it clear what God is going to do. These moments are wonderful and they are an incredible gift from God and it leads us to praise him. That is sometimes how God in his perfect wisdom acts. But our faith that God can heal should not be dependent on moments like that. Within our passage, James makes it clear that we should all pray. Now he specifically mentions elders as in a young, newly established church, they were recognized for their maturity. And I do believe there is a responsibility and a privilege for the pastors and elders to be lifting up the church in prayer. But the overwhelming point here is James is encouraging all of us to be in prayer. Verse 16 states, the prayer of a righteous person has a great person as it is working. This is a glorious reminder that we approach the throne of God only through the blood of Jesus. We are righteous because we have received forgiveness through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Our prayers are not more powerful if we try harder, if we pray longer, if we shout louder. Prayer is a powerful weapon for each of us because we are praying to our mighty Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus. Prayer is powerful because Jesus is powerful. There are no hierarchies here, no special people. And and James is making it clear that you don't need to be a super saint to pray. We are all invited to do this. His final exhortation to pray speaks of Elijah, a man with a nature like ours. 
as we read the stories of Elijah and many others and how God responded to their prayers, this should encourage us and fill us with faith. It wasn't just Elijah who had access to this kind of effectiveness in prayer. We all do. John Piper says God can do more in five seconds than we can do in five hours or five months or five years. Prayer to this world looks like a waste of time. It looks inefficient. It looks like a distraction from when much can be done. But as Christians, we believe that everything should be soaked in prayer because God, who is reigning supremely over all things, is listening and has power beyond our imagination. Let us all pray full of faith. Let's pray humbly surrendering to his will. Let's believe there is power in prayer. Let's pray in all seasons. The final part of the, le- of the letter feels very blunt and stark, but sums up the letter. It's calling the readers back to faith. The hardest times I've had as a pastor and indeed as a believer have been when I've seen people wander from Jesus. It is heartbreaking to see people turn from the life-giving truth of the gospel. And I'm sure I'm not alone in that. And many people can think on desperately sad conversations that they've had. Wanders is a good word to describe this. And the Greek word used here refers to any deviation from the truth. How often, like someone meandering along a path, do we see people take small deviations that mount up into larger ones? It starts slow. It may be seemingly inconsequential to us, but before we know it, they've actually wandered a large distance. The call here is to all of us. It's brothers and sisters that James refers to, to call them back. This is not simply for the elders in the church to do, but for each of us to call one another back. And not once we've seen them wander a distance, but for any deviation. These conversations aren't easy, but done in love, done in humility, done in prayer. We must have these. We're talking about salvation. We're talking about life in the spirit today and life forevermore in the perfect presence of Jesus or being apart from him. It's been one year since we were all able to meet together in one space. These online services have been so useful in that time and we give thanks that we can do something like this. They are accessible to everyone But in the online world, it's also possible to be invisible. It's very simple to be invisible. With less visibility, with less connection, I think the possibility to wander unnoticed increases. Don't remain hidden. Don't let others remain hidden. Let's not be shy in calling one another back to the truth. This is the most loving thing that we can do. Now, the good news is that no person can wander too far from God. James reminds us that if they turn back to Jesus, then their soul will be saved. 
their sins will be forgiven because of the sacrifice of Jesus. So maybe at some point today, after the service, take some time and ask God, who do you need to call back? We can probably all think on someone. Don't delay. Realize the urgency and consider the wonderful results of these successful interventions when someone who does repent and calls upon Jesus as their Lord and Savior. As we saw earlier in this passage, let us pray. Let us pray full of faith that this person will return to the flock. Let's pray humbly surrendering to God's will. Let's believe there is power in prayer and let's pray in all seasons. Amen.